Uh, today, we are starting a new series through the book of Habakkuk, all right? So there's a few things I need to clarify up front. First thing is it's pronounced Habakkuk, all right? Not Habakkuk. So if you guys want to, if you need that little lesson, that's it for you right there, all right? Isaac is a fan of Habakkuk, but he's an insane person, so that's why we put him in the tech booth, all right? Uh, so Habakkuk, and um, if you are part of women's Bible study, we have already, yep, we've already started, they've already started going through this. I want to clarify, I didn't know that they were going through this when I first set the calendar, so uh, just kind of put that out there. And uh, two, uh, if you are a woman here that is in women's Bible study, um, may, you already have like a step up, so you probably already know a little bit, so you'll be able to hopefully help uh, t discussions later, right? Um, but before we dig into today's, uh, I want to give, give you guys like two minutes at your tables, and I want you to discuss... Just Real quick, what is something that has like blown your mind? And that could be like something when you were a little kid, like maybe you had a realization and it just blew your mind or like it could have happened last week, whatever it is. So in like two, for two minutes, I, guess, I want you guys to talk around your tables. I want to hear some examples from you guys about what are some things that have blown your mind in the past, all right? So yeah, go ahead and uh, discuss and I'll bring us together in a minute here. All right, so let me hear it. I want to hear some examples from you guys. So would it, would it just kind of throw them out there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, when I found out that J.K. Rowling, Rowling was a girl. When you found out J.K. Rowling was a girl. That's a good answer. I like that. Yeah. Wait, wait, what? I'm, I'm going to have to Google that later. That actually, you're blowing my mind right now. That's amazing. So, okay. All right. Yeah, back there. Yeah, bullard. All right, Aaron, shut up. Be, uh, all right, last one. Yeah. And when we send our recycled products to China, they don't actually I've actually heard that before. That is pretty wild, actually. So, all right. So, you guys... That lobster thing is really tripping me up. That's really amazing, actually. So, uh, all right. So... We have all kind of like had that thing, right? Like we've all had our minds blown before, like something we did not see coming, something we didn't realize was true. And the reason that I bring that up is because we are going to look at a text today that talks a little bit about something like that, something that is an amazing revelation, something that uh, Habakkuk never saw coming, and ultimately kind of what this says and how this plays out for Israel and for God's people. So real quick, just a background for this book before we jump in. This takes place after the Assyrian Empire and before the Babylonian Empire. Most of you probably don't care about that, and that's okay. But it is important to the story, so I want to make sure to put that out there. And also, Habakkuk, he's a prophet. So that means he receives something from God or hears from God, and he delivers and reveals that for God's people, okay? So these are important things to establish because as we kind of jump into this, we're going to see kind of what it looks like for this message to be transpired. And the situation that Habakkuk is seeing is hard. It's a difficult spot. It's, a, it's something that he wasn't ready for, but also not the, the nation of Judah was not ready for. And ultimately, they're disobeying God. Like, they're not following God. They're not following him closely. Ultimately, they're not kind of glorifying him and doing what they're supposed to do. And they're kind of being ungodly, and they're slipping into some old ways of giving up to idols, like sacrificing to idols and uh, worshiping idols. And it's a tough spot to be in because 
They're being disobedient. So Habakkuk, he says, I'm not happy about this, and I'm going to complain to God. I'm going to go to God, and I'm going to complain. And so that's where we're going to pick up, starting in the first chapter here. We're going to see what Habakkuk has to say. It says, The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. So Habakkuk is coming before God and observing what is happening. And he's declaring these things. And if you read it in your Bible, if you open up your Bible, you'll actually see it structured a little different than normal text. And because, that's because most of the time with Israel, Judah, with God's people, a lot of these claims were brought with song or with poetry to God. And so we see him like basically singing this or telling this to God. And he is seeing bad things happen with God's people. He's seeing violence. He's seeing iniquity. He's seeing destruction, contention. He's seeing people disobeying God. He's seeing not only that no justice is happening, but if there is, it's bad justice. And basically anybody that is good is being surrounded by those that are bad. And he's claiming, he's going and saying, God, what are you doing? And I think that's something important because Habakkuk, he realizes and sees, you know, this is normal. This is, this is what fallen people do. But God's not doing anything about it. Like, where is he? Why, isn't, why is he just letting these things happen? God, why are you doing these things? Why are you letting this just be? These are supposed to be your people, yet they're not following you. And he's bringing these things before God, and he's seeing that there's so much pain, there's struggle, there's suffering, there's evil happening, yet God is, seems to not do anything. And there's a phrase for this. It's commonly called the problem of evil. And this is kind of like a theological, philosophical kind of phrase that basically means if there is a good God that exists, how can he let evil exist in the world? And that's a tough thing. And people ask that all the time. We I know I have, have probably asked that many times before. That there is so much problem, there's so many issues, there's so many bad things happening in the world. Why is God allowing this to happen? And that's what he's saying. God, why is this going on? Why are you allowing this? What, when we see, why do, God, why do you see war? Why are we seeing death? Why are we seeing shootings? Why are we seeing people that are like perverting justice? Why are we seeing racism? Why are we seeing all these bad things happening? Are you not going to do anything about it? I think this cry is something that we do all the time. But the passage isn't done. We're not, we're not just stopping here for today. There's a little bit more that I want to look at. And God just doesn't leave him hanging. He's not like, well, you can tell me all you want, but I'm not going to tell you anything. No, he responds and he addresses what he's saying. So let's keep looking and see what this passage says. Remember, this is God talking, responding to him. Look among the nations and see Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen proudly press on. 
Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. They take the, then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. See, God doesn't neglect the question. He answers it. He shows them that there is something that's happening. And when we read this, this isn't God responding in an angry way. He's not like yelling at them, like, why are you questioning this? But the way it's meant to be read and looked at is something is God responding in a way that is good. And that is he is saying, no, I'm going to address your question because it's valid. Like, this is a legitimate question. And it's not like God's like, oh, this stuff is not going great down there. I don't really know what to do, so I got to think of something. That's not what's happening at all. What's actually happening is God knows what's happening and he's responding to it. He has been doing something all along. And Habakkuk, he's seeing, well, all this stuff is happening here. You're choosing not to do anything about it. And God's saying, no, no, no. That's not what's happening. I am doing something about it. And he's raising up this people, the Chaldeans, the Chaldeans, however you want to pronounce it, which for us is better known as Babylonians or Babylon. These are the people that are fierce, that are ungodly. This whole passage talks about how they will go and they just destroy nations. They take temples, that their warriors are swift and that their horsemen are, are uh, people that will come and destroy everything that you have, that they laugh in the face of kingdoms because they are so powerful. And God is raising them up. This is like if you were to tell the Jedi like, that the Sith are actually going to help you win, are actually going to help you do good. Or like... If during World War II, if like the good guys, you know, were told that, hey, actually the Nazis, they're going to help you. They're going to they're gonna help you win, you know. They're going to help you do good. It doesn't make sense. Like, it's confusing. The Babylon is the people that they fear, the people that could come and destroy all of them. And God is saying he's raising them up to go and actually help with his plan. Ultimately, we're going to see this picture of God using Babylon to kind of punish his people. But to hear that from God, to hear that he's raising up these people that are ungodly, these people that are not good, to ultimately execute his plan is hard. And think about that for us. Like, if we got that response, that would be difficult. If we heard, no, 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 like, there's bad stuff happening in the world, but ultimately, something good's going to come out of it. You probably hear that a lot. And it's not easy. It's not something that's just like, oh, yeah, you're right, yeah, it'll just blow over, you know? No, it's difficult. And that's why God tells him it's something you could never even imagine. It's something you could never look at. But ultimately, we have to see that God is sovereign. That God, in his goodness and in his nature and who he is, that the things that are going to happen are only going to be for his goodness and for the goodness of his people. Ultimately, these things will glorify him. But we have to trust him. And I think that's easier said than done. And I think that for us, we see sovereignty different than what sovereignty actually, actually is. That our response is actually a little bit different than probably what it should be. There's a few different reasons I say this. Is that how, when we see sovereignty, we want to complain. We want to say, oh God, like, well, I'm going to pray to you. I'm going to tell you all these things. And like, He's not going to hear me. Like, he's not going to do anything about it. How often do we pray and we just, like, are tempted to think, no, God doesn't care. He's not going to do anything about it. 
And a lot of times the answer is born out of the fact that we might pray for something and we might not get the answer that we want. Or we might not get an answer at all, at least for now. And so immediately our thought is, right, I'm praying to a brick wall. When in reality, when we come before God, we might complain, but God hears us. He hears from us. He, does, he desires for us to complain to him. He wants us to bring these forward. He wants us to show these things. He wants us to say, no, bring stuff. I can take this. I can bear this burden because I have something better for you. This passage from Jeremiah says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That when we truly come before God, when we truly put these things to him, show these things to him, we can say, God, I'm hurting, I'm broken, I don't understand why this is happening. And he welcomes that. He wants that from you. See, when we see sovereignty, we're often confused too. Right? Like a lot of times when we, when we think about how God is sovereign, when we think about what he has in store for us, it can be hard. We can desire and want to know more. And ultimately, we're trying to seek after that. We're trying to figure out what that actually looks like. But we just don't understand. Like, why am I waiting? Why, is there so, why, why do I have to look to this? What do I have to actually look forward to what God has given me? That in the midst of pain, in the midst of frustration, we just don't understand what God's doing. But the thing is, when, with sovereignty, we might be confused but God is not. He isn't confused. He knows exactly what's coming. It might be a mystery to us, but the mystery of God is something beautiful because he turns things that are broken, things that are hard, things that are rough, into beautiful things. Romans eight twenty eight, And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. That everything that happens, though it might be confusing, though it might be tough to understand, it's for God's goodness. It's for the goodness of his people. It's for the goodness of his kingdom. And it could be hard to see that. It could be hard to wrap our heads around that. No, that's why the last thing, when, when we see sovereignty, I think sometimes it can seem so difficult and it's so tough that we can doubt. Doubt is normal. I doubt all the time. It happens all the time. When you're sinful, when you're fallen, you can't help but fall into that. We want to try to figure things out on our own, and ultimately, if they don't play out our way, doubt starts to creep in. These things that maybe God isn't actually for me. Maybe God isn't the one that's actually looking out for his people. Maybe God isn't real. These things happen all the time. Doubt is normal. The greatest theologians, the greatest people of the church have struggled with doubt. I can guarantee you that. We are sinful and we're fallen and doubt is normal. But when, God, when we doubt, God proves himself. When God promises something, he comes through. When God promised Abraham generations and a people, he was provided Israel. When David and Israel was promised a Messiah, Jesus was delivered. When we look to a future hope, when we get to be with God for eternity, I'm telling you right now, God is going to come through with that promise. No doubt. And so when we see sovereignty, a lot of times it, it's hard for us because we're humans and we're fallen. But God's sovereignty is actually something we can look forward to. 
And a lot of times, I think when we look at something like this, I think the, that we think that the point of the story is that we're supposed to shut up and sit down. That like, I, I don't know, I'm not supposed to know. God has something going on. I don't need to interact with him. I'm just going to let him do his thing because I don't even deserve to know. But that's not necessarily true. God is relational. God loves us. He wants to be with us. It's not some religious thing where it's just, hey, I'm, I'm talking to God and he's not saying anything, but I just need to put it out there. Or it's not God who wants to be disconnected from us, but rather he wants to interact with us. I want to show you a few pictures real quick. So what is this a picture? What, what are we looking at? Can anybody tell me? Yes, Rose. Good guess. Anybody else? Paintbrush. Nice. So that's a paintbrush. It's just like super zoomed in. All right? How about this one? It's a dandelion. <laughs> it's a dandelion, right? It's like, again, super zoomed in. This last one. Anybody? It's chocolate, right? It's chocolate. But it doesn't necessarily look like a chocolate bar looks, right? It's just super zoomed in. The reason I show you these pictures is not because I think they're kind of cool, but uh, because I, heard, I, was, I was reading and I was studying this text. One of, the, one of the writers said that we often have a myopic view of God and his plan for us, that it's very nearsighted, that when we look at things, we're often seeing them in this tunnel of our life and where we are at. But in reality, that's not how God sees it. And what this, the point of this is not that we're supposed to shut up and sit down. It's that we are supposed to be less nearsighted. That to realize that we might not see the greater picture. We might not see oh, the whole plan that God has laid out, but he does. And to take a step back and realize that and to bring that before him and to say, no, I trust that you have a better view of this. I trust that your image of this is significantly better. So when you come to him and you ask some of those questions, like, God, like, why, why aren't I in a relationship? Why don't I have a significant other? Why, why did that job fall through? Why do I have crappy friends? Why, God, why did you give me this disorder? God, why is my mental health so bad? God, why did my dad die? When you bring these things before him, if you take a step back and you, and you say, God, I want to lift these things up to you. I want to complain. I want to tell you I'm hurt. Realize that there is something greater for you. You might not get the answer you want. You might not see an answer for a long time, but I promise you, God looks out for his people. That there is something that he's had in the works for a long time, <laughs> forever. And you might just see that tunnel right now, but God sees something greater. And so as we look at the rest of Habakkuk, as we kind of dig into what this prophet has, what this book has in store for us, look at it from a perspective of, I want to see how God has seen a tough situation. I want to learn. I want to grow closer to him in the midst of this. That I want to take this hard thing and bring it before him and let him respond out of love. And if you're in that situation in this room, we're going to go into some small groups here in a minute. And when you guys go into those small groups, maybe there's something you want to talk about. 
maybe you want to have a moment of vulnerability. And I'm telling you right now, this is the place. That in those small groups, that's not going to be a place for anybody to sit there and judge you or to tell you that you're wrong. But rather, it's going to be a time for people to sit with you, to pray with you, to encourage you, to look to God, who is the greatest creator, who's the greatest father, and ultimately, he is the one that gave his life on the cross for us. And so remember that as we kind of go into these groups, all right? I'm going to pray for us, and I'll dismiss you guys into groups. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for all the people that are in this room and the opportunity that we get to dig into your word and to come before you. Lord, there's uh, hard situations are not something that are absent from us. They're not things that we don't see in our daily lives. But ultimately, when we do see them, when they pop up, help, help us to bring them to you. Help us to lay them before you and to ask for your guidance and ask for your wisdom. And to look to you and see that there is a greater narrative, there's a greater picture. And ultimately, you love us and care for us. And you showed us that through your son who's working the cross. And I pray. Amen.